your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by James Boyman and Ryan Williams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to ATP. James here, joined as always by Alex and Ryan. We are here today to discuss Marcel Brands, his departure, and what's next for Everton Football Club. We're going to go in-depth as we always do, but before we get started, we do have a quick announcement. You may have noticed the recent addition of advertisements before the show and after the show, and maybe even somewhere in between the show. And with that, we have are very pleased to announce that we've joined forces with Blue Wire Pods. It's a podcast network that we've partnered with and joined to... Uh, help us monetize a little bit. We're going to have ads. They've helped provide us with some resources and some hosting stuff on the back end. So we're really excited about the opportunities this is going to afford us to continue to grow the show and keep bringing you guys the content that you all enjoy. So we appreciate you, all of you, for helping us get to this point in the first place and for always being such great supporters of the American Toffee Podcast. We appreciate it very, very much. Now, with that, Let's get into some director of football talk because we didn't get to touch on it in the post-match and we felt it deserved its own episode because it's such a critical component of the club. And we'll throw it to Ryan first to get us started. Yeah, first of all, nothing's going to change due to the relationship with Blue Water. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be us, uh, just so we'll put all of those fears to rest. But yeah, we are definitely excited about the partnership. Um, yeah, let's talk about director of football first. Um, I think it's important to kind of lay out what that's supposed to look like because the Everton version of it is not really that. Um, so just briefly, it's pretty common throughout most places, continental Europe, North America, obviously almost every North American sport. It's been kind of standard for decades. Um, certainly less common in England, but you know, obviously most of the big clubs employ one at this point, Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea, Arsenal, uh, you know, you name it. Some are more prominent than others. Um, but there are a couple different elements of the role that I think is kind of misunderstood. The first thing is that the director of football is supposed to bridge the gap between the board and the football itself. And the board really should be providing the overall identity and vision for the club. And that, that's why people, some people like Paul Diask are constantly harping on Farhad Mashiri because he really needs to set the direction. I mean, he's the ultimate power broker. He makes all the decisions. Um, but the idea is that the DOF, you know, they realize kind of that identity, identity and vision through the football. Uh, now that person is still the director of football then takes that and puts it all over all the functions in football. And really it's not that complicated. I mean, the, the director of football in theory, and this is varies at different places, but they really should hire the manager, that manager, they hire a manager to deploy the style that reflects the team's current or aspirational identity. That's, that's really important. And they leave the manager to do their job, but ultimately they are accountable to the director of football. And you know, the idea is that the, the manager now just has too much stuff to do, too much information in front of them. I mean, they've got to train, they've got to manage the individuals, and there's so many things going on in terms of ego and international stuff. And, you know, they have to focus on development. Uh, you know, so many more young players are playing in first teams now. They have to manage tactics. They've got to scout opposition and formulate tactical approaches to win. And the director of football is the one that needs to make sure that they get all the things they need from advanced scouting and analysis and all that other stuff. Um, and look, the director of football also hires typically a chief scout. They can hire a head of recruitment. Um, but I think one of the biggest misnomers is this idea that either the, the manager or the director of football is picking the players. And that's not necessarily always the case. And nor is this some massive problematic thing that people think that it's going to be because they've heard instances in the past where there's been clashes. I mean, ultimately, if the director of football is bringing the manager in, they're the ones and, and they're also overseeing the recruitment heads this becomes much easier, meaning as there are going to be some instances where maybe the recruitment head likes a player more than the manager. Well, it's up to the director of football to broker that. And ultimately they're accountable for those both people. So they can say, Hey, you know, this manager didn't like him as much if the player's not performing and not hold them as accountable for it. it. It becomes much more simplistic, but yeah, I mean, there's just this myth that they're constantly fighting about targets. In reality, what's usually happening is the managers will sit in on recruitment meetings at times they're obviously communicating the needs of the first team and there'll be a list of targets and, and they'll be provided with information, video. They may have a chance to see them, you know, once or something like that. And they'll opine on it and there'll be some 
group participation, but ultimately the director of football is the one that oversees all this stuff. So that's it. It doesn't mean they don't have different opinions. That's perfectly reasonable. Um, but we just kind of think of director of footballs more often than not as kind of the head of recruitment. It doesn't necessarily work that way. But anyway, along the Marcel Brands specifically, I think the best way to look at Marcel Brands performance is to kind of start where he started. And let's be honest, he inherited quite, quite a mess. Um, uh, we've got a good quote from Sean Lunt that Alex is going to hit into. But yeah, Alex, this is a pretty, I mean, Sean makes a good point here, don't we think? Yeah, I think he wraps it up pretty perfectly. At Sean underscore Lunt says, I think my biggest gripe with those who criticize Marcel Brands is the complete disregard for the squad he inherited and how that's hindered him since. He spent years getting rid of dross on high wages and there's still a ton of it in the squad. Why is that his fault? Um, mind you, we did do a Toffee TV episode previously titled Brands, Should He Stay or Should He Go? So we did get very much in detail to the numbers specifically at that point in time. But let's look at it at a high level, right? So the 2017-2018 season, the season right before Brands came in, that was our, our friend. Don't say his name. <laughs> Don't say our it. Friend. Don't say it. <laughs> The best thing to happen to Ever Everton Football Club, according to him. <laughs> Some uh, people believe that. Puke. Ben Allardyce. Right? So, uh. so the 17-18 season, Everton finished eighth on 49 points, right? 44 goals scored, which at that point, I mean, that's 11th in the league, right? 58 goals against, though. Yikes. Oh. And goal differential of negative 14. So normally, 49 points does not get eight at all. No. Right? So we got, we got, we got pretty much lucky there. But if we 59 got us 10th, you know, this past year, now that's a rare moment too. But yeah, that's why sometimes look at a placement's not the best idea. But yeah, 49 points is not a lot. Yeah. So, I mean, our attack, anyone that watched even one game under Big Sam knows our attack was relegation level at best. There were matches we did not see a shot or close to it, maybe one shot. How we scored 44 goals, I don't have any idea. And, and and for those that think Rafa's a cross merchant, we only had 32 crosses into the box all season under Sam Allardyce, so that puts it in perspective for you. And on top of all that, who is our top scorer? The Lord himself, the man, Umar Nias, the lockerless man. Yeah, and add to that, we were pretty much bottom 15 in every offensive category, and, and as Alex said, we went into it in detail on that Toffee TV episode, which we'll link in the description. So feel it's free to check that though. out. It, yeah, if you love pain, what you do because you're an Everton fan, check out that episode because <laughs> it's painful. But also, you know, the offense was bad, but how about the defense? Well, the defense wasn't much better, despite that being kind of the focal point. We were decent from set pieces, but as most of you who were watching at the time will remember, we sat back, we gave away possession. Sound familiar? Maybe. Uh, and yet we still gave up the most goals in the league from open play. We were pretty physical. We had a bunch of interceptions, but we basically never had the ball. And we gave it away a lot when we did have it. So I believe something like we were first in long balls, but like 20th in long ball completion percentage, some crazy stat like that. It was basically ridiculous. And furthermore, you take, okay, the team was bad, but what about the roster composition? Remember, that team was old and had a bunch of guys brought in on huge wages Basically, no one with any resale value. We had, of course, Vlasic and Lookman at the time. But other than that, it was an aging squad that was really did not deserve to get eighth. And I think that really kind of sets the backdrop for Brands' arrival to understand how bad we truly were at the time. Yeah, I think our point was that, you know, eighth is really a misnomer. It was a bad team and not a good one set up to go forward. Um, but look. You know, we've said a couple things here. Let's take a step back and really think about some of the key factors if you're going to evaluate Brand's performance, you know. Um, based on what we said above about the director of football role, I think a fair question to ask is, was he given an identity or vision from the board? Really any direction? I mean, I don't think, I, I can't say we know that for 100% sure. Brand certainly came in emphasizing a long-term strategy, right? We did see that. Um but certainly the second Carlo got hired, and we'll talk about that in a second, killed that idea. So I, I don't think so. You know, clearly if we were willing to stop on a dime and change so quickly, that's probably not true. Um, did he appoint the manager? And I think this is really important because, fine, you don't get a vision, but at least you can appoint the manager and kind of put your stamp on a style of play. I don't think so. Um, 
certainly not in Carlo and Rafa's case, probably not in Silva's case, but, but let's take a step back. So Brands was very clear about what he wanted in a manager, and, and he said it several times, but he gave a, a fairly in-depth interview with Phil Kirkbride, I believe, back in the day in 2018. He talked about youth. He wanted a manager that will play and develop youth. He wanted someone that will respect the director of football model and that has to work. Um, and someone that was modern. Now, I, I, the way he insinuated was tactically modern, um, could deal with data, you know, management style was modern. Uh, and I think that makes sense with a little bit of the emphasis on youth. So I guess the real question is, if those are the three, you know, youth, director of football model and, and modern, how does that fit Silva, Carlo and Rafa? I, I guess Marco Silva, maybe. Yeah, even if yeah. it wasn't directly his guy, I think at the time you could see what the thought process was for bringing in a guy like Silva, a younger guy, up and coming, presumably, and look what he's doing with Fulham this season. Um, and someone who could presumably work with brands, they came in at around the same time, so it's unclear exactly who had what say in, in bringing who in. But I think after Marco Silva, it was pretty clear that we deviated from that those three core points that, that Ryan brought up. Yeah, so, I, so I let me I, let me ask you a question ahead. though, right? So yeah. so past Marco Silva, so Silva probably did fit the mold, kind of, okay, uh-huh. yeah. at least to an extent. Sure, but let me ask you a question though. Carlo Ancelotti's available. Do we care about the mold? Ah, uh, well, no, seriously, I, do we I, like? Is it like our? I mean, are we really upset? I mean, I mean, I, I was. I mean, I, I I remember distinctly. Not not that I hated him. I mean, I know he's a world class manager. I'm not saying I understand why that's attempting higher, but yeah, I mean, I mean, if you're well in evaluating Marcel brands, yes, yes. As a club. No, I wouldn't do that at all, but I'm a strategy freak and kind of an idealist. So I would never have done that. And, and look, my issue with Carlo isn't even so much as tactical. I like the fact he was adaptive. I had no problem that he was being pragmatic at the end of the year. I would have too. I think that's cool. I don't think that runs against what we're saying here. We know he works well with the director of football model too. So tactic, is he modern? Eh. Two, yeah, definitely. He's always, I mean, he said some of the most brutal director of footballs ever. My issue is number one with youth. I know he's a good guy, but it sounded like his approach to recruitment, which we'll get to in a second, was just getting elite players, you know, and he was good at managing them. I just I just don't think what he was great at adaptive management, which requires some fairly seasoned pros, honestly, to pull off, to be be frank. Um, and, you know, his adherent, the only youth guys he ever really played were, I mean, elite young players. Um so, no, Alex, no, I, I, you can't do it. Like, if you're in Everton's position, you can't do it because we're where we are now partially because of Carlo. Not that Carlo was terrible, but we'll get to the recruitment, but because he was not, I think, the right guy. I think he did a really good job getting 59 points, though, truly. I mean, I, I think he did. Um, but I, I don't – I mean, Rafa, though, for sure fits none of these. I mean, well, maybe the youth, I don't know. He's never really shown a predilection one way or the other, but director of football model, nope. Modern? Dear Lord, no. I mean, would anyone confuse this with modern football stylistically, guys? Uh, no, I would not describe it as modern at all. I mean, maybe I mean, if they started following Everton this season, it's the only it's the only football they know. Yeah, we're going <laughs> to well, pour one out for that thought out air right now. Because yeah, like, is, what am I thinking? Shout um, out to all the new fans this season. They got roped right in last yeah. year. With Sorry, guys. Here we yeah, are. I, yeah, I mean, I think the other there are a couple other points here that are important. So, uh, okay, fine. Let's talk about did he control the academy? Maybe. I mean, he revamped the structure for sure, and it was archaic, no question. It's good to see the U23s now are totally age-appropriate. He hired most likely Joel Waldron as the head of academy recruitment. A lot of people were not happy about that because he let in a, ca- you know, a candidate. We sat on one too long, and, and we didn't get him, supposedly. Here's my question, though. Do we think he realistically would have chosen or was happy with David Unsworth as the director? And would he even have the same, the director be coaching the U23s as well? Alex? No, I mean, no. And, and you know what? James no. and I, James and I discussed this on a, an episode previously, specifically with like Joel Waldron and David Unsworth. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? How it's, how it's been recently, at least seemingly jobs for the boys. Not honestly, not even recently, but quite a while now. Yeah. So, I mean, like, you know, he did. I mean, I will I will say he inherited a terrible youth setup, you know. No past, question. Past, past the titles. Um, but I don't know, James. I mean, do you think do you think Unsworth would be his hire? 
Do you no, think I that mean, he, it, do you it, think that he would have even tried to replace him? Like, no, I mean, he would have clearly brought in someone more, more qualified and look, David Unser is probably a super nice guy, but is he qualified for that role? He's been at Everton for some time. He's, he's coached the U 23s. It's just a classic. Let's, uh, let's promote from within and keep things very insular and refuse to consult outside sources or outside sources, uh, groups of people who may have better information or, or more experience. We're very committed to keep it in house. You can't possibly think if he had to walk down the hall and say, Hey, Dave, you need to start playing the four, two, three, one and the first team's tactics. You should not have to say that to a U 23 coach. Like to me, that's absurd. You're missing the entire concept here. You know, um, and I got into this with someone the other day on social media. I know that's very surprising for you and saying, well, it's not Unsworth's fault. He's had so many different managers. You're missing the point here. We're talking about the way the model's supposed to work going forward. And it's been the same director of football. So I, I'm not buying that. We're not talking about 13, 12 year olds. That, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about most of these guys are pros, you know, even at age 18 and 19. So they should be. I mean, if the first team can play different tactics every week, slightly tweaks, Come on. Um, but let's let's turn the conversation to recruitment itself. Uh, I'd be remiss to first mention that, I mean, Brands inherited a recruitment ban. I mean, he had to buy guys like Jean and, and Brantwaith. Um, these guys are U23 kind of level players, you know. Uh, you know, Francis uh, Akuronku, um for the U18s that he just bought from Sunderland, uh, who I think is a talented player. But, like, you shouldn't have to spend money on those guys if you've got a guy, you know, got a good funnel coming through the academy and it does look like there's some really good young players you know 16 17 18 years old that are coming through which is nice um so that's worth mentioning a lot of people are like where are the guys coming up from the academy so i can't even necessarily blame unsworth for all of that you know when we can't recruit and losing guys like smalls probably didn't help too let's hope we don't lose dobbin but but anyway i i think talking about first team though there's one big element to this that i think needs to be noted that people just miss and then and it's really that we haven't spent that much money. I mean, it's kind of a myth. Like people keep throwing out this, you know, this $500 million total, but that's a total myth, right? I mean, so if you look at since 1819, since brands took over, starting with that year of recruitment, Everton's total in, and again, this is using transfer market data. This is ignoring loan fees too, because I think that messes with the numbers. They're 11th in gross spend, 10th in net spend over that time period in the premier league. So the total in is like two, 257 million. The net is only 155 million pounds. It's not that big. And I think we're going to look at some of our competitors out there and you'll realize it's a lot lower than them. So let's talk a little bit about the setup very quickly and let's get into the actual transfer business. So Brand said, you know, laid it out very clearly. He said that him and Silva need to agree on new signings, which is fine. That doesn't violate the director of football model. All the players we brought into the club in the summer were under 25. This is he was talking about the summer. We don't want to invest big money in older players. We are looking at players age 20 to 26. That is important because that's Brand's philosophy. Now let's go, and Alex, you're going to crank us through the first couple summers, but let's keep that in mind when we look at these players. Yeah, so the first summer we know the big name, the big headliner, Richarlison. Brands actually tried to get him at PSV, though, back in the day-day, so that's a fun fact. But we also had Nina, Dean, Bernard, although Bernard was picked up by Kia, Moshiri's friend. We know he does oh, some of yeah. the negotiating sometimes when he feels it like his it. Player. Or, you know, one of the four you need to contact at Everton. Um, obviously, he's a pretty <laughs> decent player, a little magician. We also had Zuma and Gomez on loan. Those were... Master strokes, man. It was. Lots of loans out, though. We sold Klassen. We sold uh, Funes Mori. Um, in my opinion, it was. I think a lot of people can can agree that was a pretty good window, right? So gross spend, 81 million pounds, which was seventh in the league. Net was 56 million, so ninth in the league. Not bad. Right? And then, so, so second summer. Yeah, the second. Oh. So the second summer, things changed slightly. But we're seeing similar rankings for Everton, respectively. So, obviously, Awobi comes in. Yet another Kia. Alex, I lost it. Kia, one of the four guys you need to contact at Everton for transfers. <laughs> four? It's only four now? That's good. <laughs> well, Brands is gone, so. We're streamlining. <laughs> That's so good. That's, I we're was like, wasn't it five? So, yeah, I mean, Awobi, which I think one of the biggest revelations of, of Brands leaving was everyone coming to the realization that Awobi, in fact, was not Brands. It was a Kia Moshiri signing. But 
guys that were brand signings, Moise Keen, of course, Andre Gomez on a permanent, kind of backfired with the injury, Jean-Philippe Gabamon, Fabian Delph for $8.5 million or so, Jabril Sidibe on loan. We got Jonas Lussel on a free. This was, of course, when we sold Adrissa Gay. We got Vlasic out the door for $20 million. We got Lookman out the door for $16 million plus sell-ons for both those guys. Onyakuru, the long-lost, forgotten, work-permit-seeking Evertonian. He was tremendous for us. Yeah, elite <laughs> talent for Everton. We got him. We got $12 million for a guy who never even... I don't even know if he ever set foot in Finch Farm, for goodness he sake. He played as many minutes in front of fans as James Rodriguez did. Oh, <laughs> sad. Sad to say. But Ouch. in that same window, we got James. That's Mc- not true. Florida Cup, man. Florida How can Cup. you forget okay. it? Right. You're right. You're right. Anyway, in that same window, we had the outgoings of James McCarthy, Kevin Morales, Phil Jagielka, Brendan Galloway, a bunch of other less notable guys. And furthermore, and this is one that blows my mind, because I think if this goes through, the top oh. narrative for Brands changes. He loaned Chengtosin to Palace, allegedly had a $20 million deal on a permanent, and then... Horrific injury, back to square one. Palace want nothing to do with him. Alex and I at Finch Farm saw Chenk come in the door after said injury. Before and, it happened, uh, felt like a million bucks. I mean, uh, not exactly, but you know. <laughs> but anyway, in that second summer, again, first summer, seventh in gross, ninth in net. Second summer, 107 million gross, which was seventh again. And net, 34.2, which is tenth. Yeah, so... You take a step back and you look at a lot of these names, and now that we know kind of who is brands and who wasn't to some extent, most of them fit that bill, you know, under 25. Um, there's some big money for some of these guys, so I get it. But, you know, Mina, injured a lot, I get it. But, God, he's a good player. Dean, despite what Roth is doing him right now, elite player. Richarlison. Moise Keane banged in 16 at PSG. So, I mean, I, I don't... This one I don't like to characterize as bad. I mean, he's going to end up making a profit for the club. It was good that Dominic Calvert-Lewin emerged here, you know, and that was partially Brands. He's the one who told Silva, we're not buying an experienced center forward. This guy's going to work. And then you look at the injury crowd, you know, Gomes, JPG, and Delph. Delph is the one that sticks out because he's older. My guess is that Silva's like, look, you got to give me someone in there in the middle that, that can provide some leadership. And and when you look at the market, too, that year, there really weren't that many central midfielders there that were bargains. Um, still, whatever. Um, anyway, I, I just think that's a decent haul considering we didn't spend a ton of money. I just don't think you can blame brands for, for the injuries. But I think that seems like those profiles, for the most part, even Alex Awobi was the type of player that he would recruit. He just wouldn't spend that kind of fee on him. It was just way too much money. Um, It sounds like that fits the bill. And I think if that continues year over year, and we're going to find out later when we talk about teams like Leicester, as long as you're consistent with your recruitment philosophy and kind of general tactics, you're going to have some misses, but you're going to have more hits if you're good, and it's going to translate into success. But I think the big change here is, is under Carlo, and we talked about that, You've got to see that strategy through. When you inherit that bad a situation, you got to stay the course. There's no real shortcuts to it. You know, it, we're we're dealing with a big gap from a spend and value standpoint. So, but yes, Carlo comes in. You made the point, Alex. Can you say no to Carlo? I don't know, but the recruitment definitely changed. Absolutely. And to Alex's earlier question, I was over the moon when Carlo signed, but that was under the assumption he would fit within our existing yes. infrastructure Good and point. be able to operate. What we saw instead was a complete deviation from that philosophy of recruiting younger players. Still good players, but this is a guy who's accustomed to winning now and doesn't want to necessarily stick around for the process, obviously. Like most managers. I mean, really, that's part of the reason why you have the director of football, someone that's going to be there longer term. Exactly. That's interfacing with the board, that understands the strategy that you're on. You know, that's really important. But, yeah, I mean, the first guy in the list here – is not who you would buy if you, you've got a longer-term view. You bring in Alon, you bring in James. Brands, I think, was after Decore for some time, but again, that's three guys in their late 20s. James uh, is basically, thir- I think he was 30 when we brought him in. These are older guys, um, and, and you know you got to give him a little bit of credit for Ben Godfrey, of course, but we had a high price for Ben Godfrey despite being young, so it's not still not in the mold of, a young player real. who needs to develop a lot. That was and Bill, can, too. 
yeah, and build exactly. in the negotiations on that sucker. The identification was right, though, I think. Yeah, I think, obviously, I mean, he's he's proven to be a good signing, but for $20 million, you have to think you'd be able to find better deals elsewhere. Furthermore, under Carlo, and this is where Carlo becomes a problem, Brands had offers on the table for Gilfie Sigurdsson, had $10 million on the table for Bernard to Roma, and then Carlo eventually decides to convince his brands to keep Bernard and then basically never plays it. So that's money that just Brutal. goes down the drain. And eventually, of course, Bernard goes to the Middle East. He did move Morgan Schneiderlin and Sandro off the books. Sandro, God, what a... That was like, you know, obviously Steve Walsh era, maybe the epitome of, of poor signings. And then we had Umar Nias and Cuco Martina also left at the time. Yeah, and then I think the big element here is that he signs a new deal, you know, Marcel Brands does. And I, I think you looked at this and said, well, you wanted Hoiberg and you ended up with a lawn. That's definitely Carlo putting a stamp. But Carlo in the past has shown the ability to work with director of football. So I think, James, I think your point is maybe this could still work. Maybe this is a one-time deal. Maybe he said, and this is what I, I theorized, maybe Elon, he needs a general in there so badly that he feels like he can't buy young players and develop them without that there. So I, there, there's some merit there, but unfortunately we never get to find out the next summer whether that would continue. But I think the question is, at this moment in time, this moment in time, should he have signed the new deal? Because it happens kind of in the, in the early spring. And I mean, I, I don't know. Alex, what are your thoughts on that? I don't see why not. I'm going to be honest, right? You don't so, blame him. You, I mean, you can't it. blame him, right? Well, I mean, you think about it. So, so things were going swimmingly or, or so you'd, you'd think under Marco Silva, just in terms of how they operated together. Um, and then you've got Carlo come in. I mean, things were going pretty well with Carlo in general. Obviously, he ceded a lot of control and a lot of his input. But he may be thinking thinking to himself, okay, Carlo gets you, – you never know what the understanding was, right? Like maybe the understanding was Carlo thought that he needed older players because have you seen our mentality in the last five seasons? Like yeah. we go a goal down. We go a goal down because we're uh, quite frankly a team of mostly losers. <clears throat> Seriously, at some point that might be an argument as well. But but that's beside the point, right? I mean I mean why at that point in time I, I don't see why he would see any indication that he wouldn't want to. Or but any that reason be- that, that Carlo would uproot and leave at the, the first step yeah. of a different job, right? If right. you if you he signed on a three year deal, you think, okay, I can get through a couple of years with this guy and if you assume that they had a, a cordial and productive working relationship, then at that point there's no reason for Brands not to sign a deal because he thinks he can still get his vision across. He can still do the things he wants to do, maybe with a little back and forth and a little pushback, but it's not completely disruptive to the entire model. Carlos' success is his success if that happens. <sighs> exactly. And you never really get a chance to find out if they would have continued to buy old players too now because, you know, a year and a half later, bang, Rafael Benitez comes in. Now, look, we mentioned on the pod that the second Rafa was hired we knew Brands would be subject to his authority. You don't bring him in. I mean, he, he, you know, we'll talk about his quote later, but he's been fickle with management and directors for sure. Um, so we mentioned Carlo was the big change, but I think this one was the terminal change, shall I say. I, I think it's worth noting, too, that Brands continues to get tagged for not bringing in a right back. Well, he got Sidibe in on loan. I understand he tried to move John Joe and couldn't do it, and COVID kind of hit, and that was... Would have been nice to have one the year before. So I think it's fair to fault him for that. But when Rafa came in, he had Dumfries done. And uh, that's been reported by several sources. Uh, I've even had someone who has some idea of it told me the same thing. Uh, And the real big rumor was that Angisa on loan was also done. That would have been interesting. But Dumfries, to me, maybe didn't fit Carlo in terms of his aspirational way to play. But he fit Rafa. And don't believe this garbage so he can't defend. That's a bunch of garbage. That's just because people in the summer saw him play a couple times at wing back. That's not true. Six foot two, big athletic. He fits it. We went through this on the squad assessment. And then even, you know, Rafa said no, and then he moved for Patterson. Uh, somehow we made a bid for him. It didn't sound like Rafa wanted Ainsley Maitland-Niles. Rafa had his own ideas on things, and that's why he got two wingers and Solomon Rondon. So I-, I think you can write off that summer. I don't think he really had much to do with it. We couldn't spend that much money, and we'll see what's going to happen in the winter. But I-, I think taking a step back now, we've kind of gone through the world of Marcel Brands, but I think the real question is, did he recruit poorly? I, I think it's a fair question to ask. I mean, it looks like, look, he definitely hit on Richarlison Dean 
Mina to an extent, you know, okay. DeCorey for sure. Godfrey, despite the fee. Um, I don't think you can you blame him for the injuries to JPG, even Andre and Delph. And what no. do you guys think about Moise Keen? Is that a hit? I think that's a hit. My God, I was shocked we could even get him. And, you know, fine, Awobi's not his. Bernard wasn't him. And he had Bernard sold. Does this this doesn't look that bad to me, knowing we didn't spend that much. I mean, James, what are your thoughts? I totally agree, to be honest. And I I we'll talk about it later, but I just I can't believe that large portions of the fan base want to make this guy a scapegoat for the problems of the last few years. In in hindsight, it's easy to say, okay, well, this guy ended up being injured for two years straight in regard to JPG. What could have been if he hadn't had the worst injury luck possible? Same thing with Gomez with the horrible leg break. Fabian Delph's been in and out of the squad, mostly out. But bringing at face value, when we signed all three of those guys, I was over the moon because I thought that they would fill a certain role. They were reasonably priced. Maybe not Andre Gomez. I was probably definitely overpaid for him, and the wages are outrageous. But Well, you don't know the wages necessarily right away, too. So, I it, mean, in right. your defense, you sure. look at the fee, and you're like, eh, it might be okay. Yeah, and it, frankly, I was really pleased with the loan move, and he played well for us, and it was, it was yeah. a smart thing. But to commit to it long-term ended up backfiring. But again, you have to think about it. At the time, you can't look back and say, okay, well, this guy was hurt for two years. And in, in regard to Moise Keen, I was, that was an unbelievable coup that sent ripples through the world of football that ever have signed this wonder kid from Italy. It was craziness that we were even able to get him. And obviously, we kind of bungled any opportunity we had to, to make him stay for any amount of time. But Alex, curious your thoughts on that. I mean, to be honest, I feel like you could partially blame him for Delph just because he had the injury history. I mean, like That's everyone true. and true. their brother yeah. knew yeah. that Delph couldn't be counted on. So I feel like if there's anyone that you could say he could be at fault, not for the injuries, yeah. but you know well his fee might have been a little lower as a result though too you know what i mean but but yes that's it's a risk and i mean like keen for example is keen a hit that just depends on how you you know what you view as a hit i mean relatively speaking it was an insane pickup we're still going to profit on him so for someone that played essentially no role for everton during their time here to then profit a couple years later especially in the environment the economic environment we were in got to be a hit for me as well i also think that you gotta i don't think it's fair to hold brands accountable when when he bought some of these guys especially the first two windows he went through in detail the signings and him and silva did too so you had an idea what you're going to use him for so even a guy like alex awobi regardless of whether he bought him or not i remember what he said he said look he can play on the left side brands i remember making a point saying he's also going to provide competition for gilfie I've always believed that Brands was savvy to the fact that Gilfie from open play wasn't very good. Um, Carlo, you know, so I, can you blame Carlo for playing Alex Awobi on the right, knowing that we, we didn't have a right-sided player out there that's a good one? No, I, I in fact, the team did really well when Awobi played a lot, shockingly enough. People don't realize that, but he did. You know, was he in a more defensive role? Yeah. Was that his type of role? No. Um so anyway, I, I think that's that's consideration, you know, much like you look at some of the players now and you're like, Benitez refuses to play a three man midfield. Well, a lot of these guys were built and bought to play in a three man midfield. So anyway, moving on. Uh, the one thing I wanted to hit is uh, we put out a tweet from the pod that talked about the Phil Echo article, which people should read because it kind of. You kind of wonder if it was Marcel Brands feeding him the information, by the way, some people have said it is. Uh, but anyway, the, it was very revealing. It's the one that called out Wobi wasn't his guy. It was Mashiri and Kia and all this other stuff. But anyway, um, here's the here's the thing. It's uh, the tweet says curious to the response to this one. After reading the Echo article on Marcel Brands, did it change your opinion on the job he did at Everton? And there are a couple different choices. There are a couple yeses, a couple noes. But it's kind of like yes, more favorable. Thirty seven point four percent said yes. Um Yes, less favorable, 5.9%. That's weird, but okay. No, still positive, 37.4%. And no, still negative, 19.3%. Now, I recognize we have a different subsector of, of your typical Everton fan. But that's a massive impact on people's opinions. So part of me, I think, blames Brands a little bit for this, that he couldn't see some more messages. Everybody else plays the media game. Maybe he would have been smarter doing it. I don't know. But, I mean, you saw when he made that comment to the fan, it was pretty much over for him. Um, I don't know. I, th- I think it's interesting, the responses. Um, I don't know if you guys have any comments, but I definitely want to kind of compare. I think there's some mythology around recruitment for other teams, too, that I want to hit. 
Yeah, I think I think we should move forward. And to that point, I think a lot of it, it was revealing. But for people who have followed the show and followed our commentary over, we knew. over the year, I think you're probably you probably understand the plight of Marcel Brands and, and the situation he was faced with and have a hard time blaming him. Awobi was the big one. I mean, we kind of speculated that the, the price is driven up by Kia, yeah. you know, playing two sides of the fence with Arsenal. But anyway, let's moving on. So, all right. So I had a follow up to this one and I basically said, what premier team league team do you think does a great job at recruitment? we got a lot of responses. I appreciated them. Teams like city Chelsea. I mean, they do an amazing job of recruitment, but they're spending at a stratosphere level that we can't compete with. Liverpool, yes, I agree. They're very data-driven. When they buy cheaply, you can see who they're replacing. That is a machine, though. I think that's something that's a little different. You know, Klopp's been at it for years, Michael Edwards for years, and they inherited a bunch of players, too, as well. So um, I don't know if these are the best comps. Uh, Brighton, Brentford, I-, I love their recruitment, but I think they're recruiting a little differently than we need to. So let's talk about the three that were mentioned the most that I thought were the best comparisons for us, and that is uh, West Ham, Villa, and, and Leicester. Um, so let's look at these three, especially from a, from a spend standpoint. Yeah, so we have Leicester. We'll start with Leicester. Obviously, Leicester. <laughs> yeah, Leicester. People are going to lose their I minds. blew it. Uh, you know me. My it's okay. Uh, not the greatest. <laughs> the other day I heard a Leicester, so that was... Uh... Even worse, but it's okay. So, so Leicester since eighteen nineteen again. Worcester, <laughs> Worcester, Mass. Please continue, Ryan. Any other alternative <laughs> pronunciations you'd like? To I mean, I could break Pittsburghese out if you want. No, to, let's no, not. let's move. Let's on. not say yeah. we did. You know, Latrobe is actually Latrobe to be born Latrobe. Okay. Moving on, <laughs> whatever you say. <laughs> so me. Leicester since eighteen nineteen again, the same year the brands came in. Everton, Everton over this time period, eleventh in. Gross spend, 10th in net spend. Leicester, 6th in gross spend, 16th in net spend. Then you look at Aston Villa, newly promoted side, ton of investment behind them, um, tons of resources. They come up, and they've just, frankly, spent a ton of money, and they've they've made some really big sales as well, right? They, they this, Just this past summer, in the off-site, often-sighted, Video from their well, really one big sale. I yes, mean, but it's a huge sale. It's a big boy. It's a hefty boy. Yes, I mean they they buy Buendia, they buy Leon Bailly, they buy Danny Ings, Ashley Young, all in this past window for ninety million. After of course selling Grealish for a hundred, for a hundo, for a buck. Ollie Watkins, they obviously bought that, for thirty one million. It's a big fee. Yeah, these are these are not small, but I, I, I there's some misses in there too, though. I mean, sure. Bertrand Troyer, I think, is pretty good. Martinez is a great buy for $16 million. But Morgan Sanson, I had questions when we were interested in him. I liked him. I didn't think he would fit. Um, Matty Cash, $14 million is great. Wesley gets hurt. That I like Wesley, too. I thought that was a lot for him. But guys get hurt. That happens. But look at the numbers. You know, Mings for $20 million. Remember, everyone thought that was outrageous when they did that? Louise, fifteen million target for fourteen million is not great. Kansas, twelve million. I mean, but again, they're spending. What's the gross here, James? Three hundred twenty-one million pounds. It's a boatload of cash, Ryan. Certainly, right? And the net and the net is is reflective of one sale, one guy leaving. So that's something that's important too. Like Leicester sold a lot of people or sold a lot in dollars, but it's really only been three guys. And and it goes to show you, had we invested maybe the Lukaku money and the Stones money better, not that I need to drag up the past. But if you're doing it consistently year over year, you can miss on a couple of these guys and still come out all right. Um, and then, then there's the big one is West Ham, right? Because a lot of people wanted to talk about West Ham. So, yeah, so, so I, mean, I mean, pre pre Moyes, right? Like they were debatably the worst in the PL in terms of how they were spending their money. Sebastian Haller, forty five mil, although he is tearing it up for Ajax nowadays. He is there. He is in the CL specifically as well. Um, sold him the next season for twenty mil. So. Negative Ouch. net twenty five million in a year. Felipe Anderson for thirty four mil. Remember when their fans were trolling us saying they had the best Brazilian, <laughs> better than they were liars. Three million <laughs> three years later. Albion Ajecti for ten mil. Sold him for five mil a year later. Those are big losses. I don't like the red on that. In short no, amount of time. Yeah, right. right. I mean that's just a blatant failure. And look at the numbers. Their gross spend during that time. They're eighth in the league. Almost three hundred million. I mean that's fifty million almost more than us. I mean that's a that's a big difference, and the net is they're sixth in the league net. I mean so they're not selling that many people either, and the ones they're selling they're totally 
taking big losses on. Um, and I think the difference is Moyes is getting it done with a lot of players he inherited. Um, and I think the guys that he's brought in, though, are, are good matches and I think good buys. But it's not like the team is dominated with players that he bought. I mean, we like Suchek for $15 million. That, I don't think he would play very well with almost anyone else, though. You know? But he's had a chance to buy someone for it. Some of these guys are older, too, so I don't necessarily think this is going to be the most sustainable thing. But Ben Rama for $20 million, I think is a great chance. Bowen, $19 million. These are guys very specific for a role, though, that would do well. Kufal for $5 million. That works for him. But look, this past year, the genius recruitment. First of all, I love Kral. He's got an option to buy. I love that guy. Ariel on loan with an option to buy is ideal, too. But Kurt Zuma, $31.5 million. Everyone's talking about great job of recruitment. $31.5 million? That's what Lester paid for Fafana, who is elite and like 20. Uh, you know, Vlasic, $27 million. He is not kicked on yet. He's not that. He's like 24. I mean, you know, that's a big transition. That's a lot of money. Is he going to turn into a $50 million player? And and his top players, he inherited Declan Rice, Antonio, Fornals, Cresswell. Ogbon is playing a ton for them. Fabianski is their current keeper, too, and playing really well. So, you know, this is David Moyes is not necessarily is, I think, doing a good job. But let's not kind of oversell the job here. But what's important is, and Rafael Benitez should take some notes, repurposing the players you inherit and putting them in a position to succeed, which is something he's not doing. So, look, it's you're, I'm sorry, you're not that great a manager if you need to bring in all your own guys. That is an important point of differentiation and to think about it. And that's why you can't go back and look and say Moyes has done great recruitment. When the recruitment before him was objectively bad, he's just getting the most out of the players he had. So you can't watch Rafael Benitez playing. I think this is important and saying, oh, the, he left him with a terrible squad when we had 59 points the year before, a smattering of injuries as well. That's the other thing. West Ham has had like no injuries. None. Yeah, it's crazy. And I think they used 24 players last year in the league. Who's, Second best. Who's their medical director? Can we poach him? <laughs> His people are just sturdy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. but th- th- that's insane. By the way, the best was Leeds, twenty three, playing that style with that schedule. It's incredible, right? Anyway, all right, let, let's talk a little bit how we go forward. I, I think it's important to look at the statements by brands and the club. I think they tell us some things. Um, yeah, so let's let's rewind it back. Obviously, the aftermath of the Derby defeat at home at Goodison, heaviest defeat in decades, and in the aftermath of that, the club released a statement. I believe it was Sunday that Marcel Brands has left the club. Marcel Brands releases a statement, which I'm sure most of you have read at this point, but there were some couple key statements from him that we wanted to highlight. Mm-hmm. One of which, which is mind-boggling, was he said, the board and I agreed that there is a clear difference in the vision and direction for this beautiful club, and with that in mind, the decision was taken, his leaving. He then said, I want to wish all of the squad every success, and I am convinced that there is enough quality to improve the current situation quickly. Begs a lot of questions. I read this, and I immediately thought, oh, God, are we in trouble? Because we know what Marcel Brands' vision essentially was. We've outlined it earlier in this episode. For there to be a different direction that we want to go, because I thought we were going this one way. And he's saying, nope, the board don't want what I want. They want to go a whole totally different way. So what direction do we go? I'm very curious, Alex, your thoughts. So I, I'll say, A, he was right about the part where he was convinced we had enough quality to turn around. We did it the next match, actually. Yeah. So thank you for putting that in writing, Marcel. I think that was the lucky pendant for Arsenal. But nonetheless, I mean, seriously, I read it as he's fed up. I mean, we talked about how it how it transitioned. Yeah. Rafa came in, right? So, like, okay, Carlos here for a couple years. Maybe we can work together. Rafa's in, brings in all his own guys. To me, that says Moshiri is is absolutely and and he did t- you know bring out a statement right around the same time that kind of backed this up. But to me, that probably says Moshiri wants to back Rafa for a number of years, and this is how it's going to be moving forward for the foreseeable future, assuming Rafa doesn't leave for. You know, Barcelona next year, maybe. Oh, he'd leave in a heartbeat if he got a chance. But I mean, but, the other so, former Everton manager I, left, and we need the El Clasico. They fail up. Failing uh, upwards, folks. Well, 
One thing, I mean, he did mention it's following a personal conversation with the chairman and my fellow board members. One thing that concerns me is that doesn't sound like you talked to Farhad Mashiri at all about this. So my guess is Farhad is just putting stuff down on them and the board is just taking it. Because um, keep in mind, the board wasn't supportive of Rafael Benitez as well. But I mean, to me, it's pretty savage saying there's enough quality to improve the current situation quickly. I mean, because, I mean that's as, what he basically was. It only, is it only the players, right? Right, right. And, and, and I'm sorry. I look at that and I, and I agree. Especially when you look and say, yeah, Calvert-Lewin's a miss. And we talked about the injuries plagued Rafa. But at this point, sorry, a lot of the guys have gotten back. You're not missing that many. And Carlo, I mean, was missing a ton of players at this point and got us to second in Boxing Day. I'm not saying Benitez is Carlo Ancelotti. I get that. You hired a guy, you got to let him play a certain style of play. That's why you hired him, but maybe that wasn't the best choice. Um, Let's talk about Everton's statement, too. I think the big one here is... In the middle of it, first of all, it came out at like almost midnight, which is absolutely Bush League. If After me, every but I, other outlet had broken the story that yeah, he was what, gone. If this is not how Everton Football Club should operate, and that's what really irritates me. It's like there are two standards here. The standard of the people that you deal with on a day-to-day basis at Everton is brilliant. It really is. Toffee TV had a great thing where John, John was talking about it with Baz, and I think he was hitting it out of the park. But this type of communication, the corporate level communication, is not adequate to me and not befitting of the people's club. It's a completely di- complete dichotomy, and it needs to stop. Um, but the comment was, a strategic review of the football structure will now take place, which will inform the best model for the club to proceed with in the long term. Now, I have to laugh about this because of this reason. Who is going to do that? Are you going to hire some outside consultants because you just got rid of the only guy that has any football acumen whatsoever that is anywhere near the board, unless you're going to have the manager now sit in on all the board meetings? Uh, who Who's going to conduct that review? Bill? It's crazy. Denise? I just that picture makes- them sitting around drinking tea or doing whatever, talking about like, – look, Bill's been around the club a long time. He's had his hands in a lot of different business dealings. Yeah. But my God. You just let go of a guy who's a wealth of knowledge and expertise and experience and has the only one who's even come close to assembling a winning and successful football organization. So you just kick 99% of the football knowledge off the board and the remaining people are just going to sit around and say, well, let's be very strategic about how we go forward. If you were strategic, you wouldn't have fired him. Right. Well, really, though, really, though, right? Or or you do it within context. But really, though, I mean, we've seen how Moshiri operates. Like, he obviously does not trust the board. Otherwise, he wouldn't be making his own decisions constantly against what the board wants. That tells me that he's not going to ask the board to review themselves. I feel that he's going to go the classic route of he's going to have advisors, whether those are actual consultants or whether that's Kia. Don't. God. I, I'm Seriously, though. I mean, You're right. I, Mendes I, genuinely, he's going to have outside advisors. It's, he's not going to be asking the board to do it because he, quite frankly, doesn't seem to trust them to an extent. You might be right. I, actually, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world, but I just I don't know if I trust him to do it kind of in an objective way as opposed to kind 100% of a crony fair. way. Um, yeah, the, the one comment, too, that just drove me crazy is when Rafa was asked these things, you know, Toffee TV put this out, but it was a quote directly from him. Rafa made some comment. I was working for years with the director of football without an issue. What a bunch of baloney that is. I mean, he worked well for about a hot minute with one director of football at Valencia alienated the other one. And then basically fought for complete control at every other club he's been in, making every move he possibly could to consolidate it. And he, so to me, the second we knew this would happen, the second brands got hired. And so I, I guess it's great that the American toffee podcast did their research and we were right, I guess about a prediction, even though we get away with those, but I, that's what concerns me here. This guy just seems very power-hungry. And I, I just think there's, regardless of whether you like Rafael Bernitez or not, I just don't think in modern football, going back to the director of football comment, that a manager can be long-term oriented, nor do I think they have the time to be. I, I just think it's too hard now. I mean, Pep isn't. Klopp isn't. Those guys are worried about the next match, knowing as much as they can about the next team, knowing as much as they can about their players, trying to improve them, getting on the pitch and working out what's going on. And and frankly, I don't think this manager is performing very well to begin with. So that terrifies me. Now, we have some indication as to what direction we may move in. Uh, One I like, actually. I think the, the Liverpool Echo and the idea of the board of directors thing, I'm slightly encouraged by. I don't know how you guys are if someone wants to hit this quote and take a crack at it yeah so from the echo we have the news that 
Quote, Everton are planning to appoint two new members to their board of directors to replace Marcel Brands and Savar Ismailov. Further appointments have not been ruled out. And then we had from Dominic King, everyone's favorite Everton reporter. Everton will appoint that another guy. director of football after Brands and are actively beginning that search. So it seems like there is at least a plan not to just say, ladies and gentlemen, Rafa's at the wheel, that there is some sort of plan is to replace. There... I mean, but... I feel like I feel like those are non 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 news statements, right? Like that I, I, I personally feel that that's expected. You the you board have... of directors I, I think there's an actual number they need to fill, maybe, but like that doesn't encourage you a little bit though. I mean, there's rumors too that Denise is gonna be out, that she's yeah, looking for a new too. job and stuff. Right. And if she's out, then maybe David's David Unsworth. Sorry, I'm not going. David Unsworth. I'm not going. David Unsworth. Go, the director of football. That's where I'm not going. Well, anyway, the the point is, it would be nice, though. I think to see like an independent board member that has some understanding of of um, of foot modern football would be great. I'd like also one that can kind of continue on with the culture of the club itself. I don't think you can rely on Bill to speak for you know the Everton faithful anymore. I, I just don't think that works. So I. I that could go well, maybe. But then I look at, you know, Ismailoff, the fact that he was appointed to begin with only because he has relationships with Uzmanov. Not that he's doing a bad job, not that he's not a bright kid. I, I don't mean anything against it, and I hope he's working out all his fun troubles right now, visiting people's apartments and paying friendly visits to people. Anyway, I don't really want to talk about that. The point I'm trying to make is that this would be an encouraging thing, but you got to think about who's going to appoint the, the members of the board, and that's Moshiri. It will tell a lot, though, I really think. But let's talk about appointing a new director a director of football. First of all, I don't trust Dom King's insight into the club, uh, so I don't know if I trust this. But is a new director of football going to work with Rafael Benitez? And, I mean, last time I checked, Moshiri unilaterally appointed this guy. Is that, I mean, is that possible? Do we think that's going to work? And, and do you want to see that? Do you want to see Rafa given a chance to... to put his imprint on the club in January? Or what are you guys' thoughts? Yeah, I mean, at this point, right? So just January specifically, it's it's approximately 22 days away. So I think Rafa's going to have that one on lock. However, I mean, yeah, I think the default answer for everyone should be at least, yes, I want a director of football to be, a new director of football to be hired. Well, a lot yes, of people don't think we need one, man. This is England. We don't it, do that. And Yeah. And yes, I mean, obviously, like, obviously, we want we want him to be able to work with the director of football. Um, I also feel like, I mean, you know, maybe he doesn't have a great track record with it, but I don't necessarily think it's off the table either. I mean, it just depends on it depends on um, our new our new board and our realignment. The streamlining that's going on. The streamlining. streamlining Right. We're going to be so efficient by the time this is over. You wouldn't even, it's not even going to be the same club, but look, who is going to come in for director of football? They're going to talk to brands for five minutes and be like, Oh, this is a complete cluster. I'm not, I'm coming anywhere near this. Now the question of like working with Rafa seems like Rafa is Moshiri's favorite thing at the moment. He loves him, wants to back him, which I guess I can understand when you make the decision unilaterally against all of basically anyone with a brain, at the club saying this is a bad idea. But if you bring in a director of football and if he eventually chooses the director of football and gets behind the vision that Rafa reports to this guy, whether Rafa likes it or not, Mushiri is still the boss and he can still assert authority over Rafa Benitez. Whether he has any interest in doing that, I think is a big question mark. But I think there's still potential for Mushiri to say, okay, well, we tried it with Walsh. We tried it with Brands. Third time's the charm. We're going to get it right. We're going to figure it out. We're going to get an elite guy who's going to come in. And he's, and again, the whole point of the director of football is so that we don't have Rafa do recruitment for another two windows. And then he leaves or gets fired. And then we're back to square one and a new manager comes in. The whole point is continuity, which is literally, I've said this multiple times over the last few days. Any plan that lasts longer than 18 months at this point is better than what we've been doing for the last four or five years. I can't argue with that. I, I think... Ben at BT underscore 1878 makes a good point, though. And we talked about some names who could work. You can forget your Luis Campos, Monchi, and all the top director of football in the world. After Marcel Brands has come here and had very little say in anything, the club has gone for three years, forget them. And I think that's a fair point. But I will say this. I will say this. If we do hire a director of football, and it's someone significant, you know, 
someone like Michael Edwards is stepping down at Liverpool. I can't imagine that would happen. But if it was someone like Luis Campos, oh, it'd be crazy. I mean, I I really like him. Luis Campos would be brilliant. He's available. Um, Like, like if you were to go get a Dan Ashworth at Brighton, who, who I love, I don't like Stuart Weber does an idea. Stuart Weber has Liverpool ties that, Tied to Rafa, too, so I don't know if that's what you want to do. He was his director of recruitment for a little bit. Paul Mitchell at Monaco. I like Paul Mitchell a lot. He would be interesting because, you know, he's got the English background and everything, too. But anyway, my hope is, my hope is that if you bring someone in there, they have the authority to hire and fire the coach. And and for me, because I don't think Rafa is a very good fit for kind of how we want to move forward, uh, as I think I've made very apparent. And frankly, I don't think he's doing a good job, period, honestly. I think he's been doing an awful job and not getting enough of the talent. And and I hate the idea that he you know, consistently made it look almost like Brands is responsible for all this terrible talent that he has, which is not true. Um, I, I just think if we were to hire one, I would be encouraged because I would feel like there's no way any of these guys in their right mind would take this gig if they didn't feel like they had the authority behind it. Now, again, if that changes again in 18 months, so be it. But to me, like you said, James, I would be more encouraged that that person would at least have the ability to stamp their foot down on recruitment. And look, if Rafa drives people into the ground, there's only so much he can do as long as he is not investing our money and putting us more behind the eight ball. And I sure as heck don't want him buying players for his style of play because no one really plays that way, at least in the bigger, more modern clubs anymore. So it's not going to work. You know, at least someone else's voice to be in there to say, okay, look, this guy will work for you, but he's not completely worthless when I send you out the door in the summer and bring in someone who actually wants to play some modern football and we'll try and realize the vision that we want to do. And who knows? You know, maybe Rafa would want to leave on his own accord if someone comes in here and they fight a little bit. And you would hate puts that. Mashir- at least it puts Mashiri into into to make a decision. My yeah. fear is, though, that no one will want to touch this job. No one will come in. Rafa's going to spend more than we really want him to in January. He's not going to use any of the Everton scouts. He's going to make his own unilateral decisions. And who's going to counter him? But I mean, he's been unilaterally elected by by Mashiri to take the job. We don't have anyone on the board of directors to fight him anyway at this point. I mean, I'm concerned about that. I, I think the the fastest way that we can really be a disaster is have one person solely in charge of everything. You know, director of football gives people enough you know time and effort to do their jobs. He oversees it. You know, he's the branch. I, having a manager do this with the short term focus terrifies me. Alex, you were going to say something. Yeah, I mean, I, I just it, just to go back to one of your previous points about um, about you know nobody wanting to touch the job, you could always see also see that as a positive. The optics of how this transpired, the market can also move, right? So if you have no one that wants to touch this job, everyone understands what's going on. People right. contact Marcel Brands, they may still want the Everton job, but you may have all five people that walk into interview tell Moshiri straight up. I won't be treated like that. So assure yep. me now or else if you, you got give me the assurance, I'm out. And if that happens five times, that can be what, you know, ignites the change if it's not already there, if it's not something, you know, naturally occurring. So, I mean, that that also can be a positive. <clears throat> I think it would be hard also to look at the influence of his buddy Kia and, and say it's played any positive role whatsoever in this club. And look at Arsenal. Arsenal's moved away from him in many, many regards. They still probably overspent this summer, but they were buying people for a specific style and they've improved, not on the road, <laughs> apparently. And but but the point is that things can change even with the same owners. And it's not like Farhad's here that often. I would love to see him appoint a, a new chairman or powerful person on the board or a new president CEO if Denise leaves that really understands football can take charge. That that to me would be massive. That person teamed up with the proper director of football. Alex, those are a few more voices in the room that can speak reason to Mashiri. One of the problems I always had was that that brands would be outnumbered. That's why I wanted Rangnick so badly, you know, as manager. Because now you got two guys speaking the same language. But anyway, that's my thought. We're going to see how it's going to be. It's definitely going to be interesting for sure. It will most certainly be a tumultuous few weeks. Who knows how long the search could go on, right? I mean, I have to think we're not in a huge rush given Moshiri's faith he has in Rafa, but the sooner the better because the sooner we install some sort of infrastructure above Rafa that takes control from him, the better, if you ask me. But I think that's a good place to wrap this episode of the American Toffee Podcast. We covered a lot and we hope very much that you enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please do leave us a rating or review on your podcast platform of choice. 
If you want to find all of our social media stuff, you can find all of the links at linktr.ee slash USA Toffee Pod. That's linktr.ee slash USA Toffee Pod. Otherwise, we'll be with you Sunday following the match against Crystal Palace. Until then, up the toffees.